As you're being seated, if you'll find your Bibles and open them up to Mark chapter 4, Mark chapter 4, you know, recently in our sermon series, we've been having people submit pictures that we will use as logos, and so uh, uh, this week, my daughter, Karis, uh, drew a picture for us. Karis is seven years old, and we were going to use this picture as our introduction today. And so we asked her to draw a picture of our family. And so you can see she drew our uh, three dogs. One of those dogs passed away back in March, uh, the top one. And uh, then she drew our family, and she drew me over here on the left. I, I asked her if that was a halo on my head, and she said no. You just have blondish hair, and so I grew a yellow, yellow hair there. And there's Stacy, and there's Karis, and there's McKenna, and there's Bennett. And if you look closely, you notice that she drew in Stacy's arms a, a little baby. And, and the reason why she drew that is because Stacy and I are proud to announce today that uh, coming towards the end of this year, we are going to be welcoming our fourth child into this world. And so... Uh, uh, very excited about that. If that surprises you a little bit, imagine how we feel. I tell you, it's been a, it's been a few weeks of adjustment in our life. Uh, there are exciting days ahead. I, I, I went back and I looked whenever McKenna was born. We had people submit names that they thought might be good names for for her. And so I went back and found the top five names that were submitted. And number five was... Uh, Paul Pack Banks. I don't know exactly who submitted that, but somebody did. Uh, number four was J.P. Morgan Chase Banks, and a uh, very sophisticated sounding name there. And number three was a play on my name. Someone suggested that uh, we name the child Cashless Banks. Uh, number two, you have to know your old school hymns. Someone suggested Jordan Stormy Banks, and that that would be a good one. And number one, I'm not exactly sure who suggested this, but someone suggested I own. Um, I don't know who suggested this, but uh, I own a lot of banks would be a good name for for the child. So you're free to make your suggestions. Uh, we'll let you know whenever we get the official name, but, but we look forward to going through this journey uh, with our church family in the coming months. Uh, you know, today that baby is about the size of a kidney bean, just a very small. We're towards the end of the first trimester, but in another month, that baby will have grown from the size of a kidney bean to be about five inches in length. By the time we get to Thanksgiving, that baby will be about three pounds, and all major organs will be formed. By the time we get to the end of the year or early next year when the baby is born, I'm anticipating about 11 pounds, 14 ounces. Stacy's hoping that I'm wrong on that. In the first year of human life, People triple their weight, and in the first four years, they double their heights. So I did a few calculations. If I could have kept up my growth rate, why do you laugh? I'm six foot three, but had I kept up my growth rate, today I would be 75 feet tall, and I would weigh approximately a billion pounds, and so would you. So my question is, what's wrong with all of us? Why did we stop growing? In life, there tends to be these growth cycles. We start out growing, and then somewhere along the way, we, we stagnate. And you see this in a lot of areas of life. You see it in love. Uh, two people meet. They fall in love. There, there's this intense 
bonding and growing together and everything is very emotional and very powerful. And then over time, that relationship kind of, it continues to grow, but it's much slower in its pace. You see this in learning. You decide you want to learn a new subject and there's this massive learning curve that you, you begin to accumulate all this information and learn all these things that are new, but then over time, your knowledge begins to stagnate. And we see this spiritually as well. We see people that go through these seasons where there's this intense spiritual growth, and then over time, it seems like growth is much slower and even stagnated. This happens in church life, too. Uh, churches tend to do a lot of their growth, uh, numerically speaking, in their first 10 years of existence. And then there's a stagnation. In fact, right now, uh, in the United States, 80% of the churches in the United States are either in decline or plateaued when it comes to numerical growth. Now, in our culture, when we want to grow at something, we figure out what we should do. We're very good doers in our culture. And so if you want to be physically fit, you sit down and you say, okay, well, I need to eat this way. I need to make a diet for myself and I need to exercise. And so you develop a plan of diet and exercise and then you go out and you do it. And if you do it and you stick to it, then you will become physically fit. You say, well, I want to be financially free. And so you develop a budget and you start looking at what it means to be a good steward and how can I be a generous person with my finances and also be a wise person with my finances and you make that plan and then you go do it. What I have discovered is that when it comes to spiritual growth, growing as a spiritual person, for many people this is very difficult. They have a hard time getting their mind around it and the reason is is that spiritual growth is different than most every other area of life because spiritual growth is a work of the Holy Spirit of God within you. So when it comes to spiritual growth, instead of just going out and making a plan and then you go do it, when it comes to spiritual growth, you actually have to draw near to the Spirit of God. And then the Spirit of God begins changing who you are. You become a new creation in Christ, and because the Spirit of God changes who you are, it then changes what you do. But spiritual growth always takes roots in your heart. That's where the impetus is of spiritual growth within you. Now, through the summer months, we're going to be in this series called His Stories. And we're going to be looking at the parables of Jesus and some of the different things that Jesus taught us in story form. Parables, probably the easiest definition of a parable is an earthly story that has a heavenly meaning. And Jesus often taught in these parables, and in these parables he would teach spiritual truths. And so today in Mark chapter 4, we're going to begin by looking at the parable of the sower. This is early in Christ's ministry. He has just called the disciples. He is now meeting his first bit of resistance, and so he is teaching. And in verse 1, the Bible says he began to teach by the sea, and a very lar large crowd gathered around him. And so he got into a boat on the sea and sat down while the whole crowd was on the shore facing the sea. And he taught them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen. 
consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, this occurred. Some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. And other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil. And it sprang up right away since it didn't have deep soil. And when the sun came up, it was scorched since it didn't have a root, it withered. Other seed fell among thorns. And the thorns came up and choked it, and it didn't produce a crop. Still others fell on good ground and produced a crop that increased 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. And then he said, anyone who has ears, anyone who has ears to hear, should listen. Now, a parable means to cast alongside. And so these were spiritual stories that they would tell as they lived life, and often they would actually be very applicable to the life that people were living. In fact, as Jesus was teaching this story, it's quite possible that he could actually point to a farmer who was sowing seed. And in the story, you have several different dynamics. You have the farmer and the seed. The farmer is planting seed in order that he might reap a harvest. And then Jesus says there are the paths. So as the farmer is spreading his seed in a broadcast manner, some of the seed falls on the paths. Now, for you to get your mind around this, envision a football field. But instead of the stripes, uh, those are the paths. And whenever ancient farmers would plant their crops, they would leave these paths in between the crops so that they could walk and get to the produce. And they would also use those paths as fire protection. If fire took place in one end of the farm, the path could perhaps give them time to stop the, the fire. And then he says some of the seed that is broadcast falls on the shallow areas. This is areas within the farm where the, the, the topsoil is too shallow, and right beneath it is rock. For about four or five years, Stacy and I lived in Cedar Park, Texas. Anybody ever been to Cedar Park just outside of Austin? Henry, I see you. Did you grow up there? You did? Okay, so this is hometown for Henry. Well, if you know anything about cedar trees, uh, they tend to grow in places where there's shallow soil. The, the roots can grow just about anywhere. And so I remember the first time I tried to plant a tree in Cedar Park, Texas. I got my shovel. I went out into the backyard. I put it there. I put my foot down, and it went dink, <laughs> because right beneath the topsoil, there is rock, limestone rock. You don't dig a hole in Cedar Park. You quarry a hole in Cedar Park. It took me like five or six hours just to get the hole out. Everybody buys these big pipe things with spikes on the end of it in order to blast through uh, the rock. Well, that's the, the type of soil that Jesus is referring to as the shallow soil. There's just not much depth to it. And then he describes the thorny areas. This is the area where there's a lot of weeds, where there's a lot of little thorny bushes. Before I had children, I used to play golf. And as a golfer, I became very familiar with the area where the weeds grew. In fact, I spent a lot of time playing golf in the area where all the weeds and thorn... In fact, that's one of the reasons I quit. It just wasn't fair. Everybody else got to play the game where they mowed the grass. I had to play the game in this tall grass that had all these weeds in it. But the thorny area, that's the area where it's just not pure. There's just a lot of weeds in that area. And then Jesus says there's also an area of the farm where when the seed lands in the fertile soil, it's going to flourish. 
Well, the disciples begin asking Jesus, you know, what's the, what's the meaning of this parable? What are you trying to teach us? And Jesus gives them a little bit of a chastisement. He says, you know, you can't understand this. I, I teach in these parables because I, I want those who are of the Holy Spirit to understand spiritual truths. And there'll be others that just see them as stories, but I want you to get the spiritual truth. And then in verse 13, he begins to explain it to them. Actually, verse 14, he says, the sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy, but they have no root in themselves. They are short-lived. When pressure or persecution comes because of the word, they immediately stumble. Others are sown among thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the worries of this age, the seductions of wealth and the desire of other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. But the ones who, but the ones sown on good ground are those who hear the word, welcome it and produce a crop 30, 60 and a hundred times what was sown. Now in this parable, Jesus is addressing the issue of why is it? that some hear the message of God, the gospel, but never grow spiritually. He's addressing the issue of why is it that some of us can attend church week after week, year after year, and never grow spiritually. Now, I am making this assumption today. I'm assuming that because you are at church and because you are here, that you have a desire within you to grow as a spiritual person that you want to have spiritual depth, that you want to have godly wisdom, that you want to be an individual who is growing spiritually. And yet for many of us, that does not occur. So Jesus says you have the seed, and he describes this as the word, the lessons that he's teaching, the message of the kingdom. It could be described as the gospel, who Jesus is and what he has done for us. The word always leads us to the Spirit of God, and as believers in Christ, the Spirit of God who indwells within us and brings us the word of God through Scripture and through the voice of God. And he says the seed in the story is symbolic of the word. When a little child fails to develop at the proper rate, they call it a failure to thrive. And maybe you can relate to this because as a spiritual person, you look at your life and if you're honest, you say, I have a failure to thrive. Now, when we're not growing spiritually, the first tendency is to begin playing the blame game. It's my life group teacher's fault. It's my pastor's fault. It's, uh, it's my spouse's fault. It's my family, my childhood's fault. And we start playing the blame game and blaming others for our failure to thrive. But Jesus goes deeper. He says that whenever we fail to grow spiritually, there are almost always heart obstacles, things within us that are keeping us from really growing spiritually. In verse 15, he identifies the obstacle of hard-heartedness. He says those are the ones along the path where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word sown in them. So when the message of the gospel is sown, the hard-hearted one, it has no chance to take root because 
the heart is so hardened. As a preacher, I, I've seen this over the years. I, I'll see people come into the service and by their body language, by their attitude, I, I can tell they don't really want to be here, that they're not really in tune with spiritual matters. And so uh, I, I've come to realize that it's going to take something beyond me to reach them. The Spirit of God is going to have to reach them. Because when the heart, when the heart is hard, it doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what we sing or what testimonies we share. Nothing is going to penetrate those walls. They have become hardened to the gospel. There's a lot of different walls that people put up. Sometimes it's the wall of hurt. Life has hurt you along the way. And so you build this wall around you. And not only do spiritual things not get past the wall, it's very difficult for you to love. It's very difficult for you to trust. You have this wall around you that keeps a lot of life away from you. Sometimes it's a wall of misunderstanding. There's so many sound bites about Christianity these days, uh, things that people say about Christians. And because of that, a lot of people don't really understand what Christianity is all about. They, they don't realize that we're all imperfect people who have been forgiven they don't understand that at the root of Christianity uh, is not how good we can be, but at the root of Christianity is the grace of God and how good He is. And because of that, there's a lot of misunderstandings that people take into Christianity. And sometimes those misunderstandings become walls. People won't hear the message because they've put up that wall. Sometimes there's a wall of deception. Jesus spoke of this, that whenever you run far enough from God eventually those things which are true will appear to you to be lies. And those things which are lies will appear to you to be truth. If you ever read Romans chapter 1, it describes a society that is running so far away from God that the truth becomes a lie and the lie becomes a truth. And that can be a wall. Then there's the wall of empiricism. Now this is a unique one. A lot of times it's, it's individuals that are very intellectual, uh, frequently very successful. And because of that, you've trained your mind to be very data-driven, very proof-driven. And frequently that data-driven, proof-driven mindset has allowed you to achieve a lot academically or even within the business world. However, when it comes to your spiritual side, you are malnourished. You become very good at analyzing, but that has become a wall that keeps you from really feeling. And so spiritually, you're dry, and you have this wall that keeps you from really experiencing the truth of God. So I ask you today, is your heart hardened? Whenever we have a hard heart, Jesus says we're like the paths between the fields. And so maybe we need to do a soil analysis and ask ourselves, why have I hardened my heart? What's happened that's caused me to not really be receptive to the message of, of Christ? And ask the Lord to soften your heart and also ask yourself this question, what am I missing because of my hard heart? You might be missing out on love. There might be some very, very special relationships, relationships with your family, relationships with friends that you're missing out on because you're hardened. It's very possible you're missing out on spiritual things. 
because your heart is hard, you might be missing out on God. Well, Jesus also speaks of the obstacle of the shallow heart. In verse 16, he describes the shallow-hearted ones as those sown on rocky ground. And when they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy. So notice this. These individuals heard the message of Christ. Did they reject it? No. They received it. How did they receive it? With joy. But then he says, but they have no root in themselves, and so they are short-lived. When pressure or persecution comes because of the word, they immediately stumble. So they hear the message, they're joyful about it, they receive it, but they don't really root themselves in the message. Richard Foster, in Celebration of Discipline, writes that superficiality is the curse of this age. And if you think about our society, so much is superficial. We have superficial nutrition. I found myself the other day telling my children, you cannot have dessert until you finish your hot dog. And I thought, okay, something's wrong here, okay? You can't have junk until you finish your junk, okay? But I mean, that, a lot of our nutrition is very, very superficial. We have superficial relationships. We live in a world where uh, lust is often equated with love. We have superficial entertainment, I mean, look at some of the things that pose as entertainment today. Yeah, you have, you know, Myri Cyrus and, and the Kardashians and, and look at a lot of our movies. And have you ever just stopped and looked at the news stories? A few years back, you used to have the tabloids. And the tabloids were sensationalism. And they would take the, the sensational news of the day, and, and that, that would be what they reported. But serious people, they didn't really read the tabloids. They, they listened to the main news networks. But now, if you look at a lot of the news stories that are on the main news networks, they're just as sensational as what the tabloids used to te- or preach all the time in the past. Our news stories have become very, very uh, superficial. And our religion has become very superficial as well. There's a lot of people, whenever it comes to Christianity, uh, instead of embracing the Savior, they're embracing self-help with the twist of Jesus. I want to go to church, I want to be a believer, but I don't really want to embrace Christ as Lord and Savior, I just want to be a better me. Self-help with a twist of Jesus. There's others that enjoy the community of the church, and they enjoy uh, their life group and their friendships, but they're not really into the Savior and into the true message. I'm thankful today for Home Depot. Uh, And one of the things that I'm thankful for about Home Depot is that they have a one-year warranty on trees, okay? And because I've used that warranty quite a few times over the years. And last fall, uh, I, I planted an oak tree in my backyard. And so I dug the hole, planted that oak tree, and I anticipated many years of joy from that oak tree. It was going to grow and spread. It was a live oak tree. It was going to provide shade for my children. Uh, It was going to provide wildlife. It was going to be a wonderful experience. But then fall came and winter came. And the bad weather robbed that oak tree of its life before it could ever really take root. Instead of having green leaves through the winter, the oak tree had brown leaves. And so whenever spring came, we determined that it was officially dead. And Paul Packabush and I pulled that thing out of the ground, 
And we walked into Home Depot with a tree on our shoulder. It, it was great. They gave me a new tree, and I'm trying over again. Well, Jesus says that if your faith is built on superficial things, that it will lack the roots to withstand adversity. So as soon as trouble begins to blow into your life, as soon as criticism comes your way, as soon as people say anything questioning about Christianity, instead of having depth and roots, you'll fade away. We need to come to the realization that the things that Christianity deals with are not superficial questions. We live in a society that I am fearful is going to die of superficiality intoxication because within the society it is possible to live 80, 90 years and never really go deep with anything. Yet within the Christian message, we are constantly confronted with the realities of life and the difficulties of life. And we're forced to think deeply. Well, Jesus talks about a third obstacle. He talks about the obstacle of a divided heart. He says in verse 18, Others are sown among the thorns, and these are the ones who hear the word, but the worries of this age, the seduction of wealth, and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Within Christian dialogue right now, there's a lot of hand-wringing. There's a lot of people that are really worried because there's been data that comes out, that has come out, that has suggested that fewer people, particularly within the United States, not globally, but within the United States, fewer people are going to church, fewer people are calling themselves Christians, and that more people are referring to themselves as atheists. And so there's a lot of blogs being written. There's a lot of dialogue about, well, what are we going to do? What's going to happen? You know, is Christianity going to diminish and fade and go, go away? And a lot of times people are even asking this question, well, what are we doing wrong? What do we need to change? Or are we doing something wrong? Do we, do we need to change something? Do, do I need to shave my head and get some skinny jeans and do sermon series on minions and modern families and, you know, things like that. You know, by the way, I'm not going to wear skinny jeans, okay? It's just not going to happen, all right? So, and, and I'm not going to shave my head. This beautiful, these beautiful locks of hair, I mean, they need to be displayed, okay? So, so but I mean, a lot of times, a lot of times, uh, we're trying to change everything in order to, to, to try to, to reach more and, and do more. And, and often the church isn't doing anything wrong. The church is ministering to people. It's sharing the gospel. It's discipling people. It's gathering for worship. It's fellowshipping. It, it's doing the various things that the Bible teaches us to do. But you're doing it within a society that is so obsessed with the things of the world that there's very little room, if any, for the spiritual world. And it's real easy for us to become so consumed with everything that we do that we never take time to ask the question, who am I? Americans are so blessed. We don't, just, we don't ask the question, will we eat? We ask the question, what will we eat? And then we can't even answer that. Some of you will do this when you leave the service. What's for lunch? I don't know. What do you want? I don't know. What do you want? Well, nothing sounds good to me. I don't know. We'll figure something out, right? 
We don't just have one car. We, we, most of us have cars. We have air conditioners. We have bedrooms for our guests. Nobody sleeps in the room. We have guests like once a year, yet we have a bedroom for them, okay? We have extra living areas. We have bathrooms with sinks for every person in the family. If you look at human history, if you look at the global awareness right now, most people don't live like us. We're blessed. We also live in an unprecedented age of communications. Because of our technology, we are more aware of everything. We are connected to more people. We have multiple conversations with people in all different media formats. And because of that, uh, there's, there's more fear, there's more awareness. There's also more to do, more to know, more people to be connected with. An overload, if you will, almost overstimulation of communications. Our blessings can become an obstacle because our lives can become so full and we have all this stuff to do. We're very busy people, but often we are spiritually hollow. And so I say this lovingly, and yet there's a certain sharpness to it as well. If you're too busy for God, you're too busy. Something needs to change. You need to evaluate your life. You might need to cut some things out. If you're too busy for God, you're too busy. Because it's a shame to live your entire life with a full schedule and an empty soul. And yet that's exactly how many are living Well, then Jesus talks about the fertile soil. He says the ones sown on good ground are those who hear the word, welcome it, and produce a crop. 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown. So three characteristics here on the fertile soil. You hear the word, you welcome it. Picture opening the front door. It it comes into you, and then it changes you. It takes root within you and produces this crop 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. The faith that you have in Christ overflows the boundaries of your life and begins to flood other areas of your life. Whenever you're in the fertile soil and the truth of God is taught, you take those first steps of faith to become a believer. Whenever you're in the fertile soil, The truth of God is embraced and you refuse to remain the same. The fertile soil receives the truth of God and then takes that truth to others in ministry. The fertile soil receives the truth of God and anchors your soul within it so that when adversity comes across your path, you stand firm. The fertile soil receives the truth of God and the boredom of activity is replaced with the purpose of spirituality Venomous words are replaced with edifying words. Hard-heartedness is replaced with soft, tender love. Cold, sterile religion loses its appeal because you've tasted of the living water. You truly understand the gospel whenever you understand grace, whenever the Spirit of God comes within you and you become alive in Christ and you become a new creature within Him. Old things pass away and behold, all things become new. 
cold, sterile, empty religion that just goes to work and tries to be better, that loses its appeal because you want to be a new creation in Christ because the Spirit of God has taken root within your heart and He is overflowing the boundaries of you so that your life is not just lived clinging to the here and now, but your life is lived with eternity in mind and you live your life with a joyful purpose trying to make a difference in the world and the lives around you. Understanding that, yes, there is so much to do. But more importantly, who are you? Who are you? What is your soul like? Is your soul filled? Is your soul growing? Is there godliness within you? Are you maturing as a spiritual person? So that when people look at your life, they see godliness. Do the little kids that call you dad or mom look at you and realize that you know God and walk with Him and that you are a spiritual man or woman? Does your spouse know that you're praying for them and that you care about them deeply and that you love them and that you want to see them grow closer to God because you have depth within your spirit? Fertile soil grows. It matures. And the Holy Spirit of God desires to do a work within you that produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Would you be so kind as to stand with me, please, as we come to a time of commitment? The band's going to come and lead us in a hymn. I'll be here at the front if I can help you with anything, pray with you. Uh, If today needs to be the day where you become a believer in Christ, it would be my joy to talk with you more about what that means. Father, we bow our heads before you today, and I pray that we might never be satisfied with being a people that goes to church on Sunday. Help us, Lord, to seek after you, to know you. And I pray, Lord, that we might be spiritually minded people, that embrace your word and embrace your truth. Help us, Lord, to have wisdom in our speech. Help us, Lord, to have self-control in our reactions. Help us, Father, to be individuals that people know, love you, and walk with you. Help us, Father, to become spiritually mature men and women. And help us, Lord, not to waste our lives seeking after things which are going to waste away. Instead, Father, may we invest our lives pursuing those things which are eternal. And Father, may you bring a harvest from the ministry. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.